The views expressed in this program are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the views of 94.9 CHRW. Do you see what is happening here, Mr. Wolf? Sir? This is not unlike a... a drumhead trial. I do not understand. 500 years ago, military officers would upend a drum on the battlefield. They'd sit at it and dispense summary justice. Decisions were quick, punishments severe, appeals denied. Those who came to a drumhead were doomed. But we know there is a traitor here. Jadan has admitted his guilt. That's true, and he will stand for his crime. Tarsus has all but done the same. How? He refused to answer the question about his Romulan grandfather. That is not a crime, Wolf. Nor can we infer his guilt because he didn't respond. Sir, if a man were not afraid of the truth, he would answer. Oh, no. We cannot allow ourselves to think that. The seventh guarantee is one of the most important rights granted by the Federation. We cannot take a fundamental principle of the Constitution and turn it against a citizen. Sir, the Federation does have enemies. We must seek them out. Oh, yes. That's how it starts. But the road from legitimate suspicion to rampant paranoia is very much shorter than we think. Something is wrong here, Mr. Wolf. I don't like what we have become. Good morning, London. It is Thursday, April 16, 2009. I'm Bob Metz, and this is Just Right on CHRW 94.9 FM, where we will be with you from now until noon. No, no, not right wing. Just right. To black and white under the bedclothes, everything will be and welcome to the show today, where 519661 is 3600 is the number you can call to join us. And today we will be talking about the un-Canadian, the un-newspaper, and the un-debate, all brought to you or not brought to you by the London Free Press. I, am, I do have a guest with me in the studio today, and I'll be introducing her to you momentarily. But I want to tell you what this show is all about. Very different from what I've perhaps done in the past. This is a bit more of a newsy show since uh, you're going to be hearing something new today. As you know, last week on last week's show, um, I had two guests on, Salim Mansour and Ezra Levant. And um, they were here with a very familiar problem, talking about human rights commissions and, and the issues brought to them by human rights commissions. I've had in the past other guests on the show as well, including Kathy Shadel back on January 29th, and we had Mark and Connie Fournier from Free Dominion here back in April of 08. All these people had the same problems. And all of these people were given an opportunity to give, you know, present their problems to the public by a group called the, the Forest City Institute. All of these events were publicized, put out in press releases, sent to the free press, and not to one of them did the free press show up. Nor did they show up to last week's Monday night spectacle. And was it a spectacle? And I have to tell you, the turnout at London City Music Hall, the free speech event last Monday night, was a rare spectacle. 
The former IMAX theater was filled to the proverbial rafters, and I know that because I was sitting up in those proverbial <laughs> rafters near the top, with my trusty little video camera, which you'll be hearing some footage from short in a little while. But uh, whatever the, the seating capacity was, people are guessing around 600, 600, 750 or so. But the place was packed. And I remember as I pulled in there, uh, I'm telling you, I never saw a crowd like that for a political event, uh, or particularly a, quote, nonpartisan one. And um, it was just like a Hollywood spectacle in the front lobby there. You, you go in, the lineups were going, and there was two lineups inside for book signings for two of the guests, Cesar Levant and uh, Kathy Shadle. Salim Mansour was one of the guests. There was a host of dignitaries and others present, and the place was just packed. So... I am joined in studio today by one of the key organizers of Monday night's event, Mary, Le Mary Lou Ambrosio, who is with the Nonpartisan Forest City Institute. Mary Lou, welcome to the show. Thank you, Bob. And, um, you know, congratulations on that event. Thank you. And um, how did you feel about it? It must have been... It was fantastic. We're so pleased, especially with some of the negativity coming into it. Um, there were concerns. Uh, Jacob Peretz and Alan Perlmutter also did a fantastic job. We just worked really hard. I think, uh, if I could make that point, mm -hmm. uh, because there was the negative publicity surrounding... Uh, well, we'll get uh, into that our, in detail. Yeah, yeah. Um, we were that, uh, people were that more, much more determined to see that everybody was given a fair hearing and that the event went on. Uh, you know, it's interesting you say that because I've al I'm, I was almost thinking in the back of my head, maybe what the free press did was almost a favor in a way. But that's what happens when you try to, uh, you know, when people find out there's something they're not supposed to know about. Well, you'll be hearing what the free press doesn't want you to hear in a little while. But of course, uh, Mary Lou, some people know you from your past candidacy uh, for the Conservative Party as well, which is not exactly nonpartisan, but it is partisan. Okay. And you folks out there can rest assured that I nag her to death on that issue. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, but we're not going to be talking about that today. It's interesting to me, though, because the reason I bring it up, it seems to me that the only debate that even exists in any political realm anymore is, seems to be totally on the right, either between the right wing and the true right or whatever you want to call it. And that was evident at the event as well Absolutely. on Monday night. And when we're going to be playing some clips and you'll be surprised that even though everyone was united in their cause, there was some differences of opinion, uh, which, by the way, I shall try and reconcile in the next uh, quarter of the show after we hear it. But... The big news, of course, was that there was no coverage in the London's major newspaper, our only real newspaper. And um, the reason for this is not what people think it may be, because I really, you know, our focus today is also not just on the HRCs. We certainly will be talking about them. But we, we want to talk about uh, another form of, you might call it censorship. It's not censorship when a newspaper says, you know, we don't want to print something. No one here is arguing with that. You can print whatever you want and not print whatever you want. That's what press freedom's about. And it would be silly of us to argue otherwise. Yes. But we can point to a very conscious attempt on the part of certain members of our local media to, uh, you know, ba basically disinform, misinform, or not inform at all about events and issues that are vital to their readership and to the public interest in the truest sense of, of that collectivist term that's been well overused. Now, of course, on the surface, the issue of whether a particular story or event gets news coverage or not would not be a big, big deal. But, thanks to my guest today, I've come into possession of some email correspondence between herself and uh, Chip Martin of the London Free Press, which I found very, 
disturbing and most disappointing and which explains quite explicitly and well in advance of the event why the London Free Press did not publish the news of the event. And the bottom line is this. The Free Press did not cover the event because, according to Chip Martin, in his correspondence of March 30th, he regarded two of the three speakers in the event as, quote, hate-filled extremist nut bars. I just believe it when I read that. So, uh, you know, now, now, to be fair to Chip Martin, in a way, I have to say he gave, uh, I remember he gave Freedom Party and FP leader Paul McKeever a pretty fair shake prior to the last provincial election. So I'd like to say he's just totally, you know, anti-right wing, but it's not just that alone. I can't accuse him of that particularly. And I can, I can accept that he might be very uncomfortable um, with some of the online opinions he may have seen expressed by Kathy Shadle and Ezra Levant, who were the uh, two of the main speakers at the event. But, you know, I think here he might have either, I'd like to think he was letting his fear cloud his judgment on this one. And, uh, you know, I'd, I'd like to encourage him to reconsider his viewpoint on this, not on the substance of, of what he thinks the people are saying, but on on a publication that purports to be a newspaper with a mandate to professionally and objectively inform the public of all newsworthy events, irrespective of one's own opinions on the subject. And um, so I wish that was all there was to it, but the situation becomes much more complex with regards to the motives of the London Free Press and well beyond just the comments of Chip Martin. And that's the story you'll be hearing first. And we'll be getting into that a little bit later. But right now, I want to take, uh, we're going to break away first, and I want you to hear a little bit about what the London Free Press did not want you to hear. And um, over the next nine minutes or so, you will be hearing the voices of uh, Kathy Shadel, Salim Mansour, and Ezra Levant as they appeared here in London on Monday night. I think it might help give you a feel of what was going on at the event. Now, I have to warn you a bit about this clip, and I'm warning my, uh, not just the listeners, but also my on-air operator, <laughs> because uh, the following clip, I got this from my handheld video camera. I'm way up in the rafters there, and I'm just pointing down there. Great p speaker system, by the way, which mm -hmm. at least you, you, you can really hear this okay, but I have to give you a warning. For the first 20 seconds or so, the sound might be a little bit low. Do not adjust your set. That's just because they were fixing the microphone. You'll hear it come up because um, Kathy was the first person yes. speaking and they were still adjusting the mic. So uh, don't be turning your, your, your sound up right away. It goes up a bit in about 20 seconds or so. But uh, we'll be back in about nine minutes and here is just a couple of the highlights. These are edited. I can't, you know, they spoke for altogether, gee, an hour and a half. Is that about it? They each spoke With questions 15 and answers. minutes. Yeah. And, yeah. And uh, so here's just a brief uh, uh, view of what was on. We'll have some more again later of Ezra Levant, but here's what some of you might have missed on Monday night. Uh, hey, tonight's question is, um, are human rights commissions useful or obsolete? And I'd argue that something can't be called obsolete if it was never useful in the first place. Um, <laughs> commonplace uh, to insist that the HRCs, as I'll call them just to, to save a little time there, that the HRCs were a good idea at the time, but they veered off course. Uh, some people present at the creation claim they never imagined that the Human Rights Commissions could have evolved into what they've become. 
uh, I'd argue that they were never a good idea in the first place, and that any precocious 12-year-old who accidentally watched Truffaut's adaptation of Fahrenheit 451 on uh, the old Saturday night at the movies with Elwios could have foreseen what they would turn into. Um, the original mandate of the HRCs was to deal with discrimination in employment and accommodation. Uh, recently, Mark Stein was in Toronto uh, testifying at Queen's Park about the Human Rights Commissions and Section 13, and although this isn't actually part of my address, I really feel obliged to say that it was a big conversation all around a big table in uh, something called the Lavender Room at the at the Queen's Park, which was painted green. I don't, I don't know. And it was all about diversity and tolerance and multiculturalism, and every single person on the uh, DS was uh, white except for one Sikh. So I thought it was really fascinating that all these people had assembled themselves to uh, interrogate him about uh, his thoughts on the Human Rights Commissions and why he was such a horrible, hateful, bigoted man. And they uh, obviously hadn't done a very good uh, job of diversifying themselves. Ezra likes to say that the HRCs in Section 13 are un-Canadian. However, I respectfully disagree. I can't think of anything more Canadian. They perfectly embody the Trudeauian Centennial Celebration Canada I was born into. I recently read Jerry Nichols' book, Loyal to the Core, which I recommend highly, and was reminded uh, of the many asinine rules against political speech that the National Citizens Coalition fought to overturn back in the 90s. Uh, incidentally, some of the judges' reasoning for retaining those laws make today's HRC judges sound like Clarence Thomas. Because the HRCs embody everything that is wrong with Canadian establishment culture, the only way to truly defeat them is by defying political correctness at every opportunity in our everyday lives. There will be no point abolishing the HRCs in Section 13 if we are still, still too timid to say Merry Christmas at our place of work or challenge the latest politically correct terminology when our children bring it home from school. We complain rightly about stupid faraway bureaucrats, but we never would have reached this point in the first place had the average Canadian not been too frightened or unprincipled or preoccupied to allow them to flourish. I must say that I didn't expect an audience like this on, on Monday, um, April 13th, you know, um, on a working day. It's, it's simply tremendous and overwhelming. And, and it res truly restores faith in the fact that I think the vast majority of Canadians out there I demonstrated by the fact that you are up here with us today. Stand with Ezra in the fight that we are engaged in to slay the beast that wants to take away our free speech. Salim, thank you for that beautiful and uh, undeser undeserved compliments to me. Thank you very much. And thank you to to London, Ontario, what an amazing turnout. Amazing. I'm so encouraged. You've made me so optimistic. And your being here is proof that Kathy's point is wrong. 
it, Canadians are for free speech. It's not Canadian to go quiet. I, um, I want to focus a little bit on what Kathy said. Is it Canadian to go quietly? It's Canadian to be polite. I think it is. It's uh, Canadian to be a little bit less noisy and rambunctious in the exercise of our freedoms than our Americans to the South. But we do come from the same fountain of liberty that they do. We have the same history. We inherit the same Magna Carta, the same sense of natural justice. We were there in Juneau Beach when they were there in Omaha and Utah Beach storming Normandy. We, we did fight for freedom. And the praise heaped on me tonight is a little bit tougher for me to take when right in the front row is someone who served our country in Afghanistan. And when I'm called courageous and when I'm called someone who's actually... I, I'm, I just can't accept that when someone who's faced real danger is in the room. And, and I was delighted to hear that our Western Standard magazines actually made it to the base in Afghanistan because we, we sent them and I just hope that they made it there. I'm delighted to hear that they were. And, I, and I'm thrilled whenever I receive an email to this day from people in Afghanistan, our Canadian forces, who read my blog and who write about it and who say, and I, and I find it difficult to accept that what we're fighting here is the same thing they're fighting there. I, I think it's the same fight, although the dangers they deal with are real and, and here they're more, uh, you know, the hurt feelings here where there is a loss of life and limb. So thanks very much, Arthur. It was nice to meet you. Um, look, one of, the, one of the weapons in this political war waged by the Human Rights Commissions is to make someone who's caught in their crosshairs feel like they are un-Canadian. It's called the Canadian Human Rights Commission, and each province and territory has one. And if you are charged with a crime, an offense, let me tell you from memory the offense I was charged under, I had published something that was, quote, likely to expose a person to hatred or contempt, unquote. Uh, let's just talk about that for one minute, because I love showing how ridiculous this law is. To call it a law is an exaggeration. Likely to, that's future tense. You might do something in the future. You can't defend against that. You can say, I haven't done anything wrong. Well, no one said you did. Someone said you might in the future, likely to. Likely to do what? Likely to assault someone? I mean, there are some future tense crimes in our criminal code. Uttering a death threat is a future tense crime. Conspiracy to commit a crime, that, that is a future tense crime. But what's the future tense crime here? Likely to expose a person to hatred or contempt. Those, those are feelings, not likely to punch a person in the nose or likely to steal money from the bank. Likely to expose a person to feelings. We have feelings crimes, not even idea crimes anymore, not even political crime, feelings crime. It is now against the law to have certain feelings. I don't think we should walk around full of hatred or contempt, to use the words of the law, but there are some times when it is appropriate to feel hatred or contempt for things. You're not a whole person. You don't have a full personality if sometimes you don't have those feelings. And to outlaw the exposing of someone to your feelings is bizarre. As I like to say, if we could, uh, as Salim said, if, if we were angels, we wouldn't need these laws. But if all we needed to do to stop people from having bad feelings was pass a law, we would have passed the Love Each Other Act a long time ago. But it, 
In, in fact, I believe that free speech, rambunctious speech, sometimes even offensive speech, is the safety valve that stops this rambunctious speech from spilling over into real and violent action. And I don't think it's a coincidence that the countries with the most free speech are the ones that are the most stable. And the ones with the least free speech are the ones where ideas and emotions, hatred and contempt, spill not into words, but into bombs. And, you know, I've set my Google alert for the phrase Human Rights Commission, so every day I get an email of a roundup of stories from around the world with Human Rights Commissions. And you know what I find? There is a tremendous correlation between places that don't have human rights, but that have human rights commissions. I'm always reading about human rights commissions and third world dictatorships, and it's not a coincidence, because they're using it as an Orwellian tool. We don't have human rights, but we'll have a press conference every week with our Human Rights Commission just to distract you, just to pretend that we care. The countries that are free don't need a commission of busybodies and naggers. <laughs> I, I myself was subject to a... a and that, of course, was Ezra Levant this past Monday night here in London, Ontario. Welcome back. You're listening to Just Right on CHRW 94.9 FM, where 519-661-3600 is a number to call. Now, having heard from Chip Martin and why uh, the event wasn't covered, you'd think that would be the end of it, but it really isn't. I have in my possession here an article from March 11th, London Free Press, of all things. Hey, they did cover something about the event. And what does it say? It says, controversial right-wing blogger invited to speak at London event. And uh, this, of course, is by Randy Richmond at the London Free Press. And there's a subheading there by Kathy Shadle, right-wing blogger that says, I will not be intimidated. I'm not going to apologize for anything I have written. This is a goofy smear campaign by name-calling leftists. And the free press for themselves, they say she has called Muslims pathetic whiny losers who practice a sick, sick religion. She has accused Asians of spreading disease in Toronto, disparaged natives and blacks, and suggested the poor are no more real than Bigfoot. Now the controversial right-wing blogger Kathy Shadle may be coming to London to speak about human rights. It's obvious uh, they were trying to do everything they could at this point to maybe prevent that. Then they quote um, Bernie Farber, head of the Canadian Jewish Congress, who says, quote, She is a purveyor of some of the most offensive racial stereotypes I have ever seen. Any group that associates with or defends her is diminished by her charges. Warren Kinsella liberal insider and author of Web of Hate Inside Canada's Far-Right Network. They shouldn't have anything to do with her. They will just hurt themselves. The controversy, end quote, and then they go on to say the controversy has organizer of the event promising to look further into Shadle's comments. There's a story bit, a bit behind this. You had to change your venue, did you not, Mary Lou? Well, actually, that's when I got called in to assist. Originally, the event was going to be at the JC ah. JCC. Yeah. Um, uh, so yeah, I was asked to mm -hmm. help. A couple of us were asked to help, and that's when we did change the venue. Excellent. Listen, I, I understand we yeah. we're being joined on the line by Arthur Mayor, who is also one of the organizers of the event. And by the way, he's the Arthur that um, that Ezra referred to in his comments there, because of course Arthur was also a guest on this show on the week he returned from his uh, stay in Afghanistan about a year or so ago. Arthur, welcome to the show. Hi, Bob. Really? Hi. What can we do for you today? I'm sure you've got something to say about this. Congratulations on that amazing event, by the way. Yeah, I was uh, completely stunned by the turnout. Um, I would have been really happy if you know maybe one or two hundred people showed up. Yeah. And uh, instead, we had a full house in the in the theater. 
Um, if anyone cares to Google it, uh, you know, it's all over the blogovers right now. So this, this, you know, really exceeded my expectations by a huge amount. Well, I'll tell you, I took some. I took my video camera because, um, well, quite frankly, I knew there wouldn't be any media there. And I've learned that in politics, if you want to cover your butt, the best weapon in the world is a microphone and a, and, and a video camera, especially in this age. And uh, I was just shocked when I got there, Arthur. I wasn't sure if I was going to be able to get in in time, for heaven's sake, because the line was so big. And then you go in. I took my camera, and I actually filmed a lot of the stuff in, in the lobby and the, and the signing stuff. So that will be online at some time in the future. We'll let you know, too. It was quite something to see. So any other insights for us, Arthur? Well, uh, like Mary Lou said, uh, you know, we, we sort of stepped in at the, uh, at the last minute to try and change the venue. Uh, I was... I was uh, somewhat shocked and surprised. Uh, Mary Lou might get into this in more depth because uh, this is something I pulled off uh, Paul Burton's blog. Mm-hmm. But after the uh, after the uh, uh, supposed news articles that you uh, referred to, talking about Kathy Shadle and uh, and her views, yes, uh, Paul Burton uh, wrote something on his blog, basically saying it was very important to you know ensure that you, all points of view are covered and he covers the news. And then, of course, he responds to the real event by simply not showing up. So, I mean, well, it's interesting you say that because I happen to have that that in front of me right at this moment, and that was posted 2009-0315, so that's in March 15. And in that, you know, obviously, he says we're getting it from both sides as usual for a story we published Wednesday, which was a story I just read. And um it's interesting what he says at the end. He says, "For our part, it would be unthinkable for us not to do the story." just because we might find Shadle's views unpleasant, to say the least. The, they never tell you really what. But I, I, we're, we'll get into that. But the more people who know about events like this, whether to support it or take steps to fight it, the better. If you don't believe that, you don't believe in democracy, to do anything but tell readers what is going on in this region, good or bad, is not responsible from a journalistic standpoint, from a business standpoint, never mind our duty to society. And that's Paul Burton on March 15. How do you like that? Oh, exactly. So, you know, this this uh, cone of silence is, uh, <laughs> if you were to take him at his word, that would, cone of silence would be rather stunning. But... Um, the other thing I, I found very uh, very interesting, of course, was just how effective uh, you know social media, uh, Web 2.0, actually is. You know, like I said, I maybe would have been expecting uh, one or two hundred people to show up, mm-hmm. but instead we had people in the audience from as far away as Montreal, from Ann Arbor, Michigan, from Hamilton, Woodstock. You know, not just from the London area itself. Yes, it, it, I know it, it attracted a wide audience. Yeah, and part of the credit. Um, has to go, of course, to bloggers, including Mark Stein, who uh, very graciously, uh, you know, mentioned it on his website, and uh, you know, he certainly did that out of the goodness of his heart. And uh, we certainly have to give him a, a big word of thanks because he's certainly the highest-profile blogger that I'm aware of who uh, who publicized this. Well, that may be a big factor, and uh, you know, that's why we're wondering here. Maybe it's is it this negative stuff in the free press that's getting people out, or is it the positive stuff online that's doing it? But Arthur, I'm not sure if you're aware of this one. Are you aware of what uh, Paul Burton said to Jim Chapman on his show about why they didn't show up? Um, actually, no, I missed that. Oh, well, here you m- might want to hear this one. Now, you, you remember what he just said on the 15th, right? Mm-hmm. Well, apparently Jim Chapman is the only other person in town in the media who's even concerned with this. 
So I was listening to him for the last couple of days, and he wrote a letter or an email to Paul Burton, and to which he got a response yesterday. Now I'm just reading back what Jim read on the air from Paul Burton's um, um, reply to him. I saw Jim at the event, by yes, the way, yes. on Monday night, and I never got a chance to say hi to him because it was impossible. The place was packed. <laughs> I saw him sitting there in the middle, and I said, maybe I'll meet him at the end, but uh, we never got together. But um, here is a partial of what Paul, Paul Burton told Jim in terms of what the factors are on how they consider uh, what they will print and what they won't. And uh, here's what he told him, quote, here are some of the factors. One, how will it affect local taxpayers and our readers? That's why matters dealing with local neighborhoods, policing, education, housing, health, and economic development are high on our agenda. I notice he says agenda all the time and not, you know, our priorities right. or, or something like that. It's just a strange use of words, very leftist. In matters involving Canada's Human Rights Commission, they're probably somewhat lower. Now, I know from personal experience that is not true as far as at least past policy of the paper. And he says, national political figures usually attract more attention than relatively unknown personalities. Get this, unknown personalities. <laughs> this is hilarious. <laughs> for better or for worse. I'd be very surprised to hear he's an unknown personality. Well, I, I'm not I'm done yet. <laughs> right. Uh, but an opposition leader, especially in a tenuous minority government, you're wondering what all this has to do with you, right? Uh, would almost always be higher on the agenda than most other authors and commentators. And finally, as you may know, the event and the issue have been covered in advance in the free press. Yeah, the article I just read, that was it. And once by one of our reporters, uh-huh, and several times by one of the participants who writes for the free press from time to time. I hope this helps Paul. And that was what Jim Chapman read on the air yesterday on, uh, by the way, AM Radio 980. And so... Um, here he is. He's saying that uh, basically we have a completely different agenda here than the one he just reiterated in the blog responding well, to that apart, article a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, and apart from anything else, Bob, technically he's incorrect. That article did not talk about the event. It it, it, well, it wasn't at the venue that it current it was held at. Right. So I mean that's ludicrous to suggest that that promoted the event in any way. Well, it certainly affected that the event, wasn't, didn't it? It did, but... Now, now, you brought up another interesting thing, because you may think that the Forest City Institute only deals with issues of this, of this nature. But, uh, you know, here is Paul saying, yeah, we, we deal with yeah. uh, local government and taxes and all that stuff. But how many yeah. releases has the Forest City Institute done yeah. on... I mean, you counted. You've got a, I've got, a, I've a got lot the, of them in there. In 2008, Arthur, uh, we did 18 press releases. Yes, 18, 18 press releases, and they're actually posted on our website, so yep. if anyone's interested, can, of course, read them. On you know? local issues that right. affect taxpayers. <laughs> and, uh, and I know, I get them, and they're yep. right on the, on the dot. I mean, they, they, they hit the nail on the head yeah. on a lot of issues. That's the main thing we you did, guys are uh, about. Yeah, we did budget... We did a presentation so, so at the budget. So out of that 18 or 20 um, press releases, how many times did the free press cover? Uh, uh, what, what is it, Arthur? Zero? Zero, yeah. <laughs> okay, well, that's a they, good... They did publish a, a letter that I wrote um, about planting trees, but that was more of a, a personal observation. You know, I came home from working out of town and discovered they'd done a ridiculous tree planting program in my neighborhood. Uh, planted trees on the little you know, two-meter by four-meter boulevards uh, in front of our houses. But, you know, that's that was only kind of peripheral to the Forest City Institute itself. <laughs> uh, there's another thing, too, which is uh -huh. kind of interesting. Mary Lou will, will know this quite well. She did a uh, presentation on our behalf uh, to the Ontario government in regards to the so-called health tax. Yes. Now, uh, Canadian Press International wrote a story, and it was published in the Globe and Mail, and it actually mentioned Mary Lou by name and the Forest City Institute by name. 
you know, describing us as a London-based think tank. Now, the Free Press published exactly the same story by CPI, but they excised that paragraph about Mary Lou and the Four City Institute. I wasn't there, <laughs> according to the London Free Press. Yeah, it's, Incredible. Uh, it's almost Orwellian, you know. If, if well, they don't talk about us, do we become unpeople? <laughs> um, yeah, I, I know about a few other things that Free Press edits, too, that I was told I'm not supposed to tell anybody anyway. But listen, you know, this was... In, his, in Paul Burton's original response on that article they printed, he was saying, well, you know, some people are calling it a smear, and some say it's not strong enough. Right. And uh, he, he says, well, they're justified because they, they pissed off people on both sides of the issue. As if that justifies anything. And, you know, it disturbs me that um, they gave a whole list of all the things out of context uh, comments from Kathy Shadle, you know. And if you read them as they are, yeah, there's some four-letter words in there and, and, and <laughs> swear words, which we wouldn't repeat on the air. And uh, that they're shocking and whatever else you might say. And they might even be uh, offensive to some degree. But my goodness, um, they're certainly out of context. And, you know, I looked at them, and uh, Chip is saying that, well, you know, she's a real hater. Well, if she's a, that big a hater, the list of stuff of people that she must hate, she's gone. She must have a tough life. Eh? She hates everything from the poor to the uh, Islamics to Muslims to blacks to people who like Barack Obama to um, people who have AIDS to gays to blind people even. She hates them. She must hate them. Oh my goodness. She hates Chinese. She hates <laughs> It gets absolutely ridiculous. I'm surprised Puppies is not on the list. Well, you know one, one that is funny to me, and we're going to have to take a quick break uh, here, here again, Arthur, because we're going to bring in some more of, of uh, the event on uh, Monday night. But one of the ones that was funny to me was, um, uh, like, apparently how she hates Jamaicans, because in the quote he picks here is, quote, just think of just think of how much Jamaican immigrants contribute to our culture and economy. Monotonous, illiterate music that all sounds the same, filthy hairstyles, those little tri-collared ra Rasta doohickeys, <laughs> okay? So I'm sitting there looking at that, and I'm thinking, well... You know, I could make an economic argument to that and say, uh, you know, Bob Marley was one-third of the gross national product of Jamaica when he was uh, doing his, his music. And, of course, uh, I, I know Londoners probably don't know this, and maybe Kathy wouldn't like me because of this either, but um, I was one of the first people to bring reggae music to London, Ontario, believe it or not, with the help of CHRW and a fellow named Vic Peters here way back in the 70s. And I could tell you a whole story about that. But, um, you know, I, I might disagree with that statement, and I do, Bob, but I, I don't consider it offensive. No, and, you know, and if It I could, might even be funny in the right context. I've well, had this is what right. the point I wanted to make. What I found interesting was mm -hmm. Ezra's comment, I don't know, you probably picked that up, right. when he said, now, of course, he knows Kathy. He's read her, her, her material. He said, but hearing her speak in person was... Um, very different mm -hmm. because he saw he said there was a softer edge oh. to and humor so that's the other point that people deny I, I themselves an opportunity to hear her uh, in I person i know i know i could tell us I, I wanted i'm glad you brought that up kathy shadle absolutely endeared people to her yeah, absolutely. and you could see it on the stage and when and some of the things came out of her mouth were, were really funny and yet if you put them in print they might not look exactly that good you know exactly. and um, i really loved her comment when she talks about being in the in the in the lavender room that's colored green anyways it's really funny we're going to take a break now and we'll be back and i think how long is this one going to be we're going to hear a little bit more from ezra i think it's about another seven minutes or so we'll see you in a while oh wouldn't that be cool if we actually had the opportunity to genetically splice a jamaican with a newfie <laughs> 
Jesus Christ, man. I read, I read, I read the Bible that builds the boat. I read the Bible that sailed her. I raise the boy that catches the fish, bring him home, tell Isaac we have great big freaking barbecue in the backyard. Oh, that's right, Liza, she roll up a great big spliff. That's right, I smoke half dead tonight and before I know it, I'm starting to hallucinate like I'm going out my freaking mind and I look over at Liza and she's passed out. She's all blue in the face and thinking, I've got to get her to the hospital. How the heck am I going to do that? No money for an ambulance. Spent it on the Ganji. I was so was subject to a 900-day investigation by 15 people, 15 government lawyers and bureaucrats for 900 days. I like to joke that I'm a stimulus package or one-man program, a big work project. But seriously, I mean, is if, if that's what they're doing, if, if Canada is, if, if these folks have to scrounge up such, uh, such a case to fill their days, I think we don't actually need a human rights commission if that's how well we get along. Look, the psychological tool of being denounced as a hate criminal is enormous. And we know this from the criminal courts. There is a, a tremendous stigma to even being charged with a crime. That's why police are so cautious that they don't, they don't talk in public about who they're investigating. And they are very careful about laying charges because even if you're acquitted at the end of the day, there is a stigma that stays with you forever. And so when a government agency with the beautiful name the imposter name, but the beautiful name Human Rights Commission says, you are a hater. The reaction that normal people go through is to be depressed, to be marginalized, to feel embarrassed, even if they know it's a kangaroo court, even if they know it's a political charge, to be called a hater is to be stigmatized. And the reaction, and I actually have never met anyone else who has been charged with a Section 13 offense and has gone the distance. 100% conviction rate at the federal level, by the way. I've never met any of these people, but I've read a lot about them lately. And almost to the last one of them, they do what you would expect any person to do when you're ground under a system and you quickly find out that your, your gut sense of what justice is, even if you just pick it up from watching L.A. Law or Law and Order, we all have a gut sense of what justice is. I mean, it's, it's like the wallpaper of our society. It's always there. You don't have to be a lawyer to know certain things are fair and certain things aren't. We know that a judge is supposed to be neutral, not a political activist. We know that if you're too poor to have a lawyer, you're supposed to get one from the court. We know it's supposed to be even-handed. The prosecution doesn't have all the cards. and We, we know that... All of these details that look, we know, for example, that uh, you can't be charged with double jeopardy. If you beat the rap once, they can't keep charging you again and again and again. The, these are all things that happen in the Human Rights Commissions that aren't allowed to happen in real courts. 
And so if a normal person who expects Canadian justice is first defamed by a Human Rights Commission and then put through a kangaroo court process more akin to those of the former Soviet Union or Iran or China or sometimes Saturday Night Live skits, if you're put through that, first of all, you have the embarrassment and stigma of being called a hate criminal for just expressing an opinion or even less, just an emotion. And then expecting Canadian justice, expecting that the wheels of justice will slowly spin you through to exoneration because you've watched L.A. Law and you've watched Law and Order and you know what it means to have Canadian justice and you don't find it. And no one gives a damn because the media write you off while you're a hate criminal and no one, there's no light shone upon it and no one has the money to appeal it. You become a sourpuss. You become that caricatured hater that you were accused of in the first place. And that's part of the process. If I was merely charged with murder, I would have the right to a speedy trial. We, you may have heard the case in the Supreme Court rule called the Queen versus Ascoff, where thousands of criminals were allowed to go free because they didn't have a quick trial not just for evidentiary reasons, but because the stigma. You can't charge someone with a crime and let it lay out there without a hearing for years. Not so in human rights cases. One awful case in my province, Reverend Stephen Bazan, a Christian pastor from Red Deer, who wrote a vigorous, and I'll say it, rude letter against gay marriage in the local paper. His trial into hate speech took six years. If he was a murderer, that would have been thrown out. But part of it was to denormalize him, to say, you, sir, are un-Albertan or un-Canadian. You do not, uh, you, you are not a normal person. And, and I guess what I'm saying is what I decided to do is, is to challenge Kathy's idea that they can impose on me the title un-Canadian, that they can impose on me in the magazine The Western Standard the title uh, hater and that they could have some moral high ground and judge me. And I decided I wasn't going to allow them to denormalize me. Good God, I would turn it around on them. Canadians believe in free speech. I know it because we fought for it. It's a censorship that's un-Canadian. Canadians believe in rule of law. And, and part of the Orwellian process of them grabbing the good words. They grab the good words for themselves. Human Rights Commission. I'm human. I like rights. People who are committed to it, that sounds great. The Human Rights Commission, they stole the good words. So we have to peel that back and show that they are actually against those three things. And look at now. I mean, three years I was dragged through the process. 900 days. A lot of dough. But at the end of the day, what has happened? They've been denormalized. The Human Rights Commission themselves has been exposed as the radicals, and I think Canadians have rallied to this. I'm always surprised by the number of people I meet at events who tell me their own stories about Human Rights Commissions. I met three people in the lineup outside who tell me that they are right now going through some sort of human rights episode. And their case will never be told in public because they're not fighters, they're teachers or business people living a normal life, and they don't have the money or the time or the inclination, frankly, to waste their time. They'll take the shakedown plea bargain instead of fighting the distance. And even my own father went through a human rights case 25 years ago. There are hundreds of thousands of people who have been bullied this way. And I think that the book, to my delight, has been a clarion call to stand up and say, no, 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 no. We're the Canadian ones. The abusers are these commissions. They're not normal. We're normal. It's not normal to circumvent the rule of law and natural justice. It's normal to stand up and be a little bit stubborn, even if it's in a little bit more of a Canadian way. And, 
And I, and I want to talk about something that surprised the heck out of me and even my publisher, who I give great credit to. I believed that I was being radical. I, the definition of the word radical comes from the Latin word radix, to pull something up by the root. Good Lord, my slogan on my blog is being fired them all. How can you be more radical than that? And to find a publisher, same publisher who publishes Mel Herding and Margaret Atwood, who would put their name on a book by me calling for the abolition of human rights commissions. Good Lord, I salute McClellan and Stewart for their bravery and for such a book. Yeah, so McClellan and Stewart gets saluted for bravery, but apparently um, the free press doesn't want to do any saluting. We'll talk about that later. I'm in studio with Mary Lou Ambrose, organizer of Monday night's event, and I understand on the phone we have uh, Pro Professor Chris es Essex, who is also at the event and hosting the event on Monday night. Welcome to the show, Chris. Uh, nice to be here, Bob. Hi, Mary Lou. Hi. <laughs> so what's on your mind today, Chris? You must have been kind of shocked by the lack of uh, coverage. Uh, no, I, no, I can't say that I'm I'm shocked. I mean, there are, there this kind of issue has been around for a long time, and uh, there's been a certain amount of denial across society about uh, the significance of it. Um, I've certainly seen a lot of it uh, uh, over the past 20 years uh, as 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 it's developed, and uh, there certainly was a time when it was impossible to get any press attention at all, I mean, not even columnists, to write about it. And so uh, what uh, Ezra has been doing and Mark Stein and company has uh, really broken the thing open and uh, and it's, it's really changed it because people have to understand that, I mean, their first reaction is, as Ezra was saying on that clip you were, you were showing, that human rights sounds like a wonderful thing. Uh, how could there be anything wrong with it? And the impression I had and have is that many people just aren't aware that there are any issues of any kind. And that's precisely because people are unwilling to actually investigate something like that, which is so fundamentally well, virtuous. And it's well, it, well, it doesn't help when, when they're told things like they're told. I mean, this is, this is not just not covering the this is a smear, what they did, the one article. And that will turn a lot of people off instantly. I run into them all the time. Oh, yeah, that's that racist person or that's that whatever person. And you know, <laughs> you know, you know that that's just not true. And they just accept it point blank. Uh, yeah. There's a tremendous, uh, you know, this is damaging stuff. I, I think they, they had, a, they had a, 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 a kind of uh, treatment or punishment for people called shunning. In yes. The past. And 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 to some extent that that's kind of reemerged in the uh, contemporary world where uh, you don't really respect people. You your tendency is if you don't like their opinions then then you must also not like the person. And I think this is uh, it's a kind of a sophisticated idea and it's a wonderful idea to realize and it's kind of a development of, of liberal democracies is the awareness that you can you can have a disagreement with somebody. You can think they're wrong. You can think they're crazy. But you can still respect them as a person. And, and I think that this has been lost to a large extent. Mm -hmm. You have to be able to say, well, you disagree with me, but I can still have a beer with you, as the saying goes, and be, be, be friendly but, with you. You know, you, 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 you hit home with that one because I often tell people, and they look at me funny, I say, you know, a lot of the people that I just chew up... <laughs> You know, in public or something, we might be great friends and get along together I in private. And we have those disagreements with us. I could name a few left-wing people in town who are great for arguing. And we can yell and holler and scream at each other, you know. And as long as you're in a free society, you know, these things just wither away very quickly. 
Well, I think this it's the one it's the wonderful thing about these old traditions that Ezra was talking about uh uh these ancient traditions is that it it recognizes that ideas of a left and right and so on are perennial. They're not going to go away and there's a reason for it. There there's there's fundamental truths that they sort of uh uh, uh, connect to in some fashion or another, and, and they're always going to be around. And you may feel that in any particular issue, you kind of go down one way or the other, and one thing or another. But it's in, in inevitable that we're going to have disagreements about matters of truth, because all human beings are ultimately fallible. And that's, of course, what Salim Mansour was talking about uh, when he was talking about the you know the, the angels and and uh, and how society uh you know if, it, if we were all angels we wouldn't have to have these things or if angels ran society but in the end everything has to have checks and balances because human beings are fallible absolutely listen we're going to take a quick break for a smile and come back and do a wrap-up you want to stay with us Art? Sure. okay right back you know Thank you, because I can't get away with some of these jokes in America without somebody calling me a traitor. I'm not kidding. One, you know what I did? I made the most innocuous little joke about George Bush. You know what the joke was? I quoted him. <laughs> yeah. I said, how can you not make fun of a man who said, most of our imports come from overseas? And he also said, I think we can all agree, the past is over. <laughs> and this guy found me after the show, and he told me that I was a commie liberal pinko faggot who deserved to die. And I thought, I don't deserve to die. there man get around the world see stuff I went to South Africa you know what freaked me out there's Indian people there not one or two millions of us millions of Indians and they've been there for like seven eight generations and you know what the messed up part is for my people over there they were taken to South Africa as slaves <laughs> who the hell uses an Indian as a slave we don't make good slaves do I look ready to do hard labor right now no we don't do hard, we'll give a calculator, we'll do your taxes, you know what I mean? We don't, can you imagine? Oh, it's horrible. you imagine how upset the first slave owners were? All right, Raj, here's what you're going to do. Get in that field and pick that cotton. No. No, I can't do that. This is not good. No. Let me tell you what we'll do. You pick the cotton, okay? And I will get the t-shirts made. And together, we can wholesale it. As always, it's capitalism to the rescue, isn't it? <laughs> you still there, Chris? Is Chris still there as he left? 
can't hear him, so I guess he's not with us anymore. No, I'm oh, here. Oh, you're still there. Okay. Yes. <laughs> yeah, just, just, just making your, sure you're still there. Okay. Um, <laughs> listen, any final words? we just got a couple minutes to wrap up. Well, uh, even in that uh, that uh, joke segment, you, you could see that uh, that the, the um, guy who was making the joke couldn't quite distinguish between the remarks that George Bush was apparently saying and the man, you know. Uh, how can you not make fun of a man for saying, uh, the past is mostly in the past, or you know, not most of our. I mean, the well, idea, the statement is is wrong, but that doesn't mean the person is bad. Well, you know? yeah, obviously, yeah. And you know what I thought too. I says, well, he says most of most of our imports come from overseas. I don't think the U.S. does. I think they come from Canada. Well, there you go. And and Mexico. So that's not even right. And, <laughs> and sometimes, sometimes you know, when you say something like that, you want to uh, you want to be provocative. You know, it's it's kind of make a dry. Oh sure. Remarks. So I, I, I don't know. I mean, I, it was a good joke, but, uh, but I, the, the fact is that, that it's really hard to distinguish between the people and the ideas, and, and, and I think it's important at all, if at all possible, when our society works best, is when we focus on arguing about the ideas and we treat people with as much respect as possible. Well, maybe we can teach that lesson uh, to our local media, and maybe we could hear more about <laughs> these ideas so that we well, can discuss them. We, you know we d- I mean? Don't forget, we should be polite to them, too. Absolutely. Yes, maybe occasionally little little digs just for fun, but other than that, I think we should be polite. Absolutely. We're Canadians, you know, we should be polite. You know. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes. Well, thanks for joining us okay. then, Chris. We'll, we'll catch up with you later. All right. And uh, Mary Lou, I want to thank you for joining us. Did any final comments that you just wanted to get in in about well, 30 seconds? Yeah, just just briefly. Mm-hmm. Just to be fair to Chip, the, the conversation was between me and him personally, because we've had these conversations before about covering our events. And for him, he he basically expresses his own view, but he says, but if my editor sends me, I will go. Mm-hmm. So I want to just make it clear. I don't know that it's Chip's responsibility. No, and I, I think that's why I brought in all the, the other, Bur- and you know, it was Randy Richmond, Paul Burton, the paper. And you have to understand the paper has a long history, regardless of the people involved, yeah. Yeah. of being involved with HRCs. I could have brought in my whole experience mm-hmm. with, the, with the Elijah Ilyev case, in which case they were very interested in HRCs if they were on the other side of the issue persecuting somebody. But that's a whole other story and we've told it on this uh, show before. I guess we're going to have to wrap up because I think our time is up today. Uh, Taff's giving me me those strange looks in the studio (laughs) there. So let's take it away Taff. Thank you for joining us and we hope you'll join us again next week as we continue our journey in the right direction. Until then, be right, do right, stay right and think right. See you then. Fade into color, color into black and white Under the bedclothes Everything will be The kids today are spoiled, though, aren't they? They got toys for everything. They just came out with this toy, Billy the Gay Doll. (laughs) Yeah, just what you need to give your kids an excuse not to put their toys away. But Mommy, he's not supposed to go in the closet.